Caleb. And I'm Elise. And you're listening to Happily Scaried, a horror podcast for newlyweds and nearly deads. Elise, we've been away for not quite a month, but it has been a minute since we've recorded a podcast. And why is that? Well, I did take a trip to Disney, which is the scariest place on earth. Yeah. Uh, so I was away for a while doing that, and then what happened after that? We were just busy. Life's just busy. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of funny. Like, you think, oh, we're, we live together. This would be very easy to do on a regular basis. <laughs> and then you realize when you're not doing it as a job or you're getting no income from it, you realize, mm-hmm. oh, it's just another thing I have to do in my very busy life already. Yeah, unfortunately. I think there was a couple weeks where it was like, you want to do a podcast this week? And we were both like, nah, I just want to keep watching TV. (laughs) I mean, there's just so much to watch. Anyways, we've got too many things going on, and we like to watch TV and movies together, as is indicated by us having a podcast where we talk about movies. Yeah, I think that gives it away. Um, So sometimes we just rather watch stuff, I think, than talk about it. Well, it's just... The busyness of work schedules and church stuff and family stuff and, you know, occasionally friends are involved. Yeah. The few that we have. The few that we have. (laughs) So it's just, there's a lot on the agenda week to week. All that is to say, we are back and we're better than ever. We're back, baby. And this week we're going to be discussing a TV show that is near and dear to my heart already. One of my favorite seasons of TV that I've ever seen, I think. You've only known him for like a week. I know. And it's... Too soon. It's Netflix Midnight Mass, which I think was just a phenomenal show. Um, One that is rife with controversy. I don't know if we talked about this, but the Vox.com article that came out about it where the person was like, well, I'm an atheist and I feel excluded by this show. And so there is a lot of hullabaloo about that. A lot of people were kind of poking fun at it. Uh, and then for us in the, uh, uh, in the Christian community, it was kind of a divided um, response to the show because it deals with, um, it seems like institutional religion, maybe Catholicism or Christianity in general, or maybe just theism in general. We'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm sure. But it seems like it critiques it, uh, sort of the um, the lemmings mentality. If somebody jumps, one of these lemmings jumps off a cliff, many are easily to follow. And so, uh, yeah. And uh, I guess some people were pretty divided over whether it had positive portrayals or not. Um, so I guess we'll get into that a little bit too. And did you like it? Yeah, I did. I mean, not as much as you, but I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, and I, I'm realizing I'm becoming a Mike Flanagan guy. Like, he's one of my go-to directors. I loved, absolutely adored Haunting of Hill House, which I Is just... Is that the one you started over? Just yeah, now? I just okay. re-watched it. And I re-watched it in like the course of a day and a half or something because... Maybe you don't want to admit that. Yeah, it was it was so good, but it was just like... I don't remember. I think you like had to go to bed early or something, and I just cranked through like four or five of them that night. And then next day, I was like, while well, doing busy work, just watching the rest of the season. Oh, it's great. I think I had a couple places I was going or something, and yeah. I got home, and then I saw on the screen it was asking you if you wanted to start 
season one, episode one. And I was like, wait, did you finish this? <laughs> you just started it yeah. like yesterday. Oh, you mean Midnight Mass? No, I'm talking about, no, I'm talking about. Because okay. um, I did rewatch that too, I should say. Just the me. whole thing you yeah. rewatched? Mi- yeah, Midnight Mass. I, I didn't the whole know thing. that. Yeah. I, no, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about Hill House now. For your binging activities. All that is to say, I like Mike Flanagan as a showrunner. And I like several of the movies he's done. I think he's an interesting guy. He's up there with Oz Perkins for me, who did... Oz Perkins did Gretel and Hansel, The Black Coat's Daughter. And I'm trying to think. It's like, I am the thing that lives... The pretty thing that lives in the... yeah. I can never remember the title of that, but that movie's incredible. That's like a five-star movie for me. Yeah, I didn't care for that. So these are two modern horror masters that I think are really great. And then to a lesser degree, I like Ari Aster, even though I think he's really screwed up (laughs) as a person. There's something going on there. Something deeply demonic about that guy. I hope he's in therapy. Oh, man, he really needs to be. And uh, Robert Eggers is uh, director of The Lighthouse and The Witch, which is another great movie. Mm. So... Man, we have, there's a lot of good stuff coming out these days. So mm-hmm. speaking of which, we are going to go see Lamb this weekend, uh, which is that new A24 horror movie. We've talked about this. We're seeing it this... Yeah, week. you and me are seeing it tomorrow or... Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I have just seen like posters for that movie. I've just seen a few advertisements for it. I don't actually functionally know what it's about at all. So I'm going in blind. So hopefully we'll see that in the Discuss on next week's podcast. And then the week after that, it's a movie I've been waiting for for, gosh, what, three years now? Four years now? Three years. Um, Halloween Kills. That's going to come out. And we're going to go see that in theaters, even though it's coming out for free. You know what I think? What? Halloween Slays. That would have been been a, a better name for it? Well, yeah, because... I mean, it's just the slang that the kids are using these days. Oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah, it's like a, a double entendre, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do they say slay anymore? <laughs> Probably not. I, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Probably I, not. I feel like that's a the kind of like a late millennial entry into When the... do you think that stopped? Because I... it comes in handy for horror in general, so I really want to keep that. I want to keep that around. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, these things are cyclical, so maybe we could cycle it back in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't always get the sense that the horror community is on the cutting edge of whatever's cool. So, But we are. Yeah. And so clearly by us Because we have a TikTok. We're millennials. We that, have multiple TikToks. We don't post TikToks, though. But we, we just have watch TikTok them. accounts. We yeah. each have one. It's pretty good. And my TikTok account... The algorithms figured me out. It's just cat videos and guys restoring antique like watches. But then and you also tools. get live videos of people playing Mario Kart. Yeah, that's that I don't mind as much. There's one guy I've actually watched a couple times for like thirty minutes play Zelda Ocarina of Time. Hey, what's the point of watching someone play video games? What's that about? I, you know, I've I've heard people criticize that, and I tended to agree. But then someone asked a really interesting question. They said, "What's the point of watching somebody else play sports? 
I agree. I mean, so <laughs> and so me I there. was like, oh, okay, yeah, like watching somebody else play something and like see their skill at something and think about your own skill. There's something interesting about that. So I used mm. to be critical of people that watch people play video games until I realized it's essentially the same thing as watching somebody play. Is you there know, another metaphor we can use? Because the sports thing doesn't I mean, do anything for me. I, you know, you like singing, but yet you go to concerts. and Yeah, because you know. I, I mean, yeah, okay. That kind of works. I guess. Yeah. Anyways, so I get that. And the worst thing I get on TikTok are exvangelical videos. Are they're just, I think I made the mistake of liking one that was kind of funny. And now I get the most obnoxious. Well, I think that multiple people are using the hashtag and so some people are using it as a way to say like i'm gonna critique this belief that i grew up in but i still believe it and then some people are just on there to they're not even they're not christians anymore yeah and so they want to take pot shots at evangelical culture which hey i listen i can get on that train we we both grew up in it and we see all its problems and uh, whether they're really silly or actually pretty sinister, we're all on that. But I don't know. I just feel like so much of TikTok religion discussion is just so, it's just kind of silly and trite. So anyways, talking about horror movies now, something that's not silly and trite. But religion ties into what religion we're talking Religion does about. tie into So, okay. So before we get into all the deets, I'm wondering if Todd can come out. And give us a summary of the show. Yeah, we're going to invite Todd onto the show, who is a YouTube film critic. and uh, Or film reviewer, I think, is really more of what he does. And uh, he's going to give a summary of the show. And by the way, we neglected to mention last time oh, yeah. that our friend Hannah. Hannah Wallace. Hannah Wallace introduced us to Todd. Mm-hmm. And so thank you so much, Hannah, for bringing Todd into our lives because he's he's a gem to work with. He's really changed our lives for the he's better. He's a consummate professional. Mm-hmm. He's got a great voice. Very <laughs> sultry. Don't go too far. Very sultry, soothing voice. And we like for him to come on the show and talk about you know film synopsis. So yeah, without any in. further ado, Todd, would you give us a synopsis of Midnight Mass? An isolated island community experiences miraculous events and frightening omens after the arrival of a charismatic, mysterious young priest. Oh, short, Todd. Yeah, that's really, there's not a lot to that one. Yeah. Todd, do you want to give us the, uh, the, the tagline for the show? Midnight Mass. Be not afraid. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> yeah. This is such a dumb bit that we do. <laughs> Well, we don't have any other ones. Yeah, we, we're still coming up with this. So, uh, Midnight Mass is, as you've heard, directed by Mike Flanagan. Of he did more than once. What? Flanagan. Oh <laughs> God. Okay. That was oh, brutal. Mike Flanagan, 
who also directed such films as Dr. Sleep, Hush, Gerald's Game. I can talk if I want to. Oh, you got to stop. You got to stop. I can't make The Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, (laughs) Oculus. Is married, by the way, to Kate Siegel, who played a major character in this, Aaron. So I just discovered that on their Wikipedia the other day. Anyways, Midnight Mass, directed by Mike Flanagan. Starring Kate Siegel as Aaron Green, a teacher that has moved back to the small island community and reconnected with some of the people there. Uh, Zach Guilford as Riley Flynn, who's kind of a the black sheep of a family that's come back to the town um, after being out on parole um, for accidentally killing a woman in a drunk driving accident, accident four years ago. Uh, there is a mysterious young and new priest, Father Paul, by uh, uh, played by Hamish Linklater. And uh, he's kind of an interesting, charismatic guy. Oh, no, she's smiling. Is it as a pun? Did I stumble in my speech? Or? No, I was just thinking of something with later. Okay, we gotta, you got to cool it for Wait, a second. can we... Um, let's take a vote. If you want the dad jokes to stay in, vote yes. And Who's voting right now in a pre-recorded podcast? <laughs> they're voting on their computers. Okay, we will ask the question if you want the dad jokes to stay in. Let me go okay. ahead and finish the main cast I'm here. sorry, I'll try to not listen to you, I guess. Henry Thomas plays Ed Flynn, who is Riley's father. Henry Thomas also was Elliot on E.T., the little boy on Elliot, so I love seeing him and stuff. He's he, he's in a lot of these Mike Flanagan joints, so uh, he's really good. And then there's Kristen Lehman as Annie Flynn, Ed's wife, and Riley's mother. She's a really sweet character. And then we have um, Samantha Sloyan, I guess is how you pronounce her name, playing Bev Keen, who is perhaps one of the most hated characters. She's basically Angela from The Office. That's what I kept thinking about. But far crueler, I feel like. Well, but it, like if Angela were taken out of a comedic environment and put into a horror movie, yeah. I mean, I could see it. And uh, I guess last major character is Rahul Kohli, uh, plays Sheriff Hassan. There's some other people in there. Well, I'll just run through them real quick. Annabeth Gish as Dr. Sarah Gunning. Alex Esso is Mildred Gunning. And yeah, those are really the the main players on the stage. So now that we kind of got the table setting out of the way, let's talk about our gripes, likes, and tropes. Elise, what were your gripes about Midnight Mass? My gripe, I guess is possibly with Mike Flanagan. Okay. Just because I feel like this is such a slow burn. Mm. And I just think it's, I mean, it's just, there's nothing horror or like scary about it until what, the last two episodes? Last two were scary, but I think you're forgetting that there were some, like you see some faces and some shadowy figures. Not enough, I think, to make this like a true gotcha horror. Yeah, so it, it it's not necessarily um, a quick pace horror, um, and that towards the end is really when that kicks off. Uh, but it does have a di- kind of disturbing, unsettling 
something's not right vibe going on the whole time. Yeah, it gave me kind of mystery vibes, mystery vibes, Uh, and that's okay. But I guess I'm just saying that's my main gripe is that I I loved how it got really terrifying in the end, and I kind of wish there were more elements of that throughout and not just crammed at the end. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when the end happened, I was really on the edge of my seat, like excited and scared and all of that stuff. And then I thought, oh, but it's almost over. Like yeah. this is just this is all I have. It's just this last little part that feels terrifying. So I would have liked a different setup, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, overall, I, I don't. I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying that's something I would have done differently. I think that was a lot of people's complaint is the pacing did not feel great all the time. In fact, it felt pretty glacial at a few points. Um, For me, that worked fine. And and again, this is just kind of showing my particular interest. There's a lot of long drawn out philosophical, theological conversations about God and life. I did enjoy those. I, I remember thinking we've been in just a two person back and forth shot for like five minutes. But like, I'm intrigued about what they're saying. I feel like it's good dialogue, so I'm I'm still invested. I found that stuff really interesting and compelling and well-written. Um, Mike Flanagan, I think, grew up Catholic, and I think he had an overall good experience with that, although he's an atheist now. Uh, and you can kind of see that by the end of the show where his sympathies lie. But I, I think in his talking um, through these characters, I, I felt that he gave them the most... Um, uh, the most kind of sympathetic character development along the lines of their faith. Um, he didn't look at the show hyper cynically. Uh, and then, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to my gripe in a minute, which kind of revolves around that. Um, but I thought, I, th- I thought he did a pretty good job of representing this group of people that are um, little tight knit Island community made up of like blue collar fishermen and, um, that they're, I think it's, they, they're 30 miles from the mainland. They never say du- like directly where they are. The town's called Crockett. So this, it's a tight knit community of these religious people and they, they feel like decent people, you know, they're not like, it's not this crazy, you know, cloister group of hypocrites and, you know, all these awful, just kind of conspiratorial people. Although the gist of the show is that they get easily deceived by, something they don't understand and that kind of turns them into these monsters by the end. But it seems like they were good natured up until that point. So, um, but yeah, so a lot of the character development is just dealing with people that are grieving the loss of the culture of their town. Um, in the beginning of the show, they talk about how there was an oil spill years ago. And so that's caused problems for the, the revenue of the community. A lot of people have moved away it feels like a dying village. The culture is dying. The people are dying off. It's shrinking. The jobs are are, are, are seemingly disappearing. And if you look, at, we talked about this. It was like, man, I don't know where they shot this, but like, or if these are like all real houses, but they all look so like decrepit and like they had not been updated. And I mean, everything looked like it was, you know. You said, I love how no one can afford paint. 
Yeah, I mean, in this film. I mean, at, I said that kind of like you know at first, like I feel like they did not a good job with the set design, but then I realized like, oh, I think there's like, it seems like this is a really impoverished community. Um, so so much of the hype of the show, I think it's been around how creepy and unsettling it is but i I think if you're going into it looking for just straight horror um you may be you just have to get through some slower moments which i thought were fabulous but i know not everybody feels that way um my biggest gripe would be around i guess um not the portrayal of the religious characters because I thought they were kind of evenly fleshed out. It's, it's a Catholic community, mainly Christian community. Um, but there are a couple Muslim characters that I thought were well-written and, um, even articulating some of their beliefs in a way that I think is like a lot of Muslim people would see that as like, yeah, that's an accurate representation of our beliefs. Um, those are fine. Um, but I do think, uh, portraying some of the people that were a part of this church as like kind of doing it. They like, they're in the ritual of it, but they really have these kind of like weird atheistic agnostic views of reality. Um, what do you mean that we're like, I mean, so Aaron um, played by Kate Siegel, who is um, uh, a woman that's moved back to the Island. She is a single, is a single mother um, she's pregnant with her first child. Um, you get the sense that her, the, uh, the father of the child was not a good guy, abusive guy. Her mother was, um, an alcoholic and abusive to her. And so she just had a really tough life. And now she's coming back and finding this community again. And people have welcomed her back and she's a teacher in the community. And now she's going to church so, and you get the sense that, you know, in her younger life, she would have been more of a rebel, but she's going there. She's part of the community. She seems to be like really on board with it. But by the end of the show, um, when she expresses what her personal beliefs are, her view of God is just sort of this like cosmic space to us. Like the miraculous thing of life is that we all exist and then our energy gets absorbed into the universe and and there's some semblance of love and, and happiness in our oblivion. And so I, I think that it kind of takes this. Um, I said this in our Twitter space that we did with a few people right before. It takes this sort of like Neil deGrasse Tyson view of, of, uh, of stuff that just feels kind of like silly and preposterous. And so I know that there's been a lot of hubbub about the show in regards to how it portrays Christianity, how it portrays agnosticism and atheism. But I, I just, I cannot find that, the, the final argument made that we're all just, you know, we're just atoms with electricity firing in between them is like really compelling and beautiful. Like, I just didn't find that portrayal to be satisfying to the reality that we're dealing with something seemingly supernatural, a, a vampire that's been alive for thousands of years, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of years. And so we're dealing with kind of a supernatural entity. And yet the big thing of the show is that like, this is all kind of meaningless and accidental and, but that's okay. We can find hope in that. 
So that 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 was my major gripe. That I just mm-hmm. felt a little flat-footed after these big, robust kind of theological arguments, it philosophical. Just didn't feel like it matched the rest of the show. Yeah, it, it, when I, she started to say stuff with the word cosmic, I was just like, "Wait, huh? Where's this? How is this going to be connected to anything that we've talked about?" Yeah, and, and I mean, one of the major components of the show too is like really dealing with like guilt and. You know, Riley, who's one of the main characters, the first character that you meet in the show, he um, he killed somebody accidentally in a drunk driving accident, and then he went to prison for several years, and it shows these haunting shots every time he puts his head down to sleep. He sees the face of the woman that he killed with the glass and the shrapnel from the car accident, and she's just staring at him, and you see police police sirens reflecting off her face, and it's just like... Every time he lays his head down, whether he's in prison or free, he sees her. And so just the guilt of that that compels him through this whole story that is, I mean, he's all wrapped up in that. The fact that it feels like, well, that that is the only way that is um, dealt with is that he himself dies. And yeah, I then was he's wondering what you thought about the re- resolution of that. Yeah, and so like he becomes a vampire essentially, and he realizes what happens, and and uh, and he realizes the hunger that's in him, and 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 there's now this parallel between his alcoholism and his thirsting for blood, and instead of letting the 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 new vampirism, you know, turn him into another kind of monster. He goes and finds Aaron, and they go out on the boat in the middle of the ocean. And he confesses, and he bars her, he bears his soul to her, and tells her all of what's happened and how he's really felt. And you think, oh, is he like, you know, getting her out here to kill her or something? Like, you know. And then you realize that when the sun starts rising, no, he came out here, so he had nowhere else to go. And now he's kind of like explained himself and. Then the sun rises and you see the sun hit his face and you think, oh, he's he's going to explode. But you don't see anything happen to him. He just he closes his eyes and sits there and he opens them. And then all of a sudden he's sitting across from that woman that he killed in a car accident, except she's not all, you know, disfigured. She's like smiling and alive and her face is restored. And and she looks at him and she stands up and she puts out her hand and she pulls him up. And then it cuts back to reality um, where Aaron is on the boat and she's screaming because she just watched Riley, who is now a vampire, burst into flames. And so even that seems like there's some sort of metaphysical thing happening with him. Like he's at peace now and he is entering into a new state of existence with you know, where he can finally be forgiven. And the person that he wronged the most in this life is saying, I forgive you for what you did. And so I, I get that, that all that can be like metaphorical. Like now that he's, you know, now that he's confessed all of his sins, to somebody he cares about, he can die peacefully. And maybe that's just a symbolic representation of what it feels like to feel free when you die. Um, and all your, and as he says crudely, when he thinks when you die, your your brain just floods with DMT, 
um, and you just have all these sort of like memories and flashbacks of all the good things in your life and then you just cease to exist and that's fine with him. But it seems like what his character needed to find resolution is not that he just stops existing, but that he wakes up in a new existence where he's not, you know, forever undead, but forever restored and reconciled. Um, so that was a compelling ending, you know, even if they didn't explain what that reality was, you know, if they didn't put, put a particular Christian spin on it, that's fine. But to have that moment and then later just kind of be like, oh, we're all just dying and it doesn't matter because we existed. It just feels like so, I don't know, it just makes light of all the pain that this community has been in and, and all the grief. You know, Aaron loses her child, this disease, this vampiric disease that manifests in her, causes her, her child to just, you know, essentially evaporate in utero. Um, you know, it's just like, it's all these terrible losses. And the fact that the show would just kind of say, well, these don't really mean anything fundamentally. I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I just see that as, I don't know, that's like a, just a the worst cop-out that you could have. Here's something that I wondered. Um, when... Her and Riley, Aaron and Riley are talking about what they think happens when you die on the couch. She asks him, he gives his explanation. He asks her back and she says, well, I'll say like from my my daughter's perspective. And she talks about her child um, that was, you know, that she was pregnant with. Um, and then at the end, as she's actually dying is when this paragraph about the cosmic space dust whatever it is yeah comes out and so i i wasn't sure if we were supposed to think that this was what was going on kind of in her brain as she's dying or if she ever really said those things to riley if that makes sense yeah i wonder that too um so earlier in the show like a few episodes prior they have this conversation about death, Riley and Aaron, like, what will it be like? And that's where he just says, you know, brain fires DMT, we turn into nothing. And then her explanation, she says, well, I can't speak for myself, but let me speak for my daughter who I just lost. I think what it is, is that she was asleep, asleep the whole time time she was here and that she woke up in a new place. And, all the people that have come before are there and they see her and they love her and they name her or God names her. And then she's transformed into her ideal self. She never experienced sin or death, which is what Aaron says quite. She never experienced those things. And she is just loved and accepted forever, totally pure And she says, I think that's what God is. And so you get the idea there that her view of God is kind of, it's ethereal. It's not necessarily personal, but it still has this metaphysical half to it. Like we are love. There is something beyond us that shows love and we receive love. So that she, that's, that takes place in the show. But at, at the end, when she is dying herself after getting attacked by the vampire that everybody thinks is an act is an angel, the angel of the Lord. After she's like, she's looking up at the stars and she it's, it seems like she's having a flashback. Um, 
but we don't know if it's actually her the continued part of that conversation where she's answering what I can say for myself or it's now she's answering for herself. I tend to think it's her answering for herself in her imagination in that moment. So she didn't actually say any of these things to Riley then, but now that she's about to enter death, she can speak for herself. And her worldview her understanding reality totally changes where it's like, I'm about to become nothing, but I am everything, you know, because my atoms were forged in stars billions of years ago and my energy will continue on in the universe. And then she says, you know, at the, her end of her speech says, I am that I am meaning that she's, she's doing the, like the God to Moses in the desert thing, you know, saying this is her name, which is, I am essentially. So she's claiming to be God, like, the fact that existence is God, we are God. But what feels so depressing about that is like all the equation of love is removed. Like now that she's dying and it's, you know, it's, it has an instrumental of near my God to thee playing. It's really like beautiful and poignant scene in some way, but it feels so, I don't know. It just feels like it takes all the the beauty of this, like, after death is we're loved by someone and something forever to being like, well, I'm just glad I existed. feels like a really hopeless way mm. <laughs> to kind of view. And I, you know, I know different people watch this show from different perspectives. And Mike Flanagan's not a Christian. He's not even a theistic person. I think he's agnostic atheist. So of course, like, you know, that's from his perspective. That's how he's going to view things. But man, that just seems like such a, based on what has been built before in the show and the way that, that, that that's the kind of answer to where we're all headed feels so depressing. Mm-hmm. So that's my biggest gripe. That's about the it. real horror. That is the real horror. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if that's the solution to every, all the terrible things we've seen, well, at least we existed, man. I mean, that's okay. If you had a good or happy life. But like for all the people that don't have a good life, it's just like terrible. Yeah. But totally. What did you like about it? I feel like you have kind of touched on this already a little bit, but um, and you can speak to this way more than I can. So I'll probably just let you have at it. But my like is just that uh, things seemed to really make sense uh, as far as like the Christian beliefs and the theology that's listed because I I think when you and I um, probably probably more you but I definitely will feel very nervous when I feel like when I hear priests or pastors on TV like in shows or movies start to talk I'm like what are you gonna say yeah because <laughs> I mean it's it sounds terrible but it's just like you could say a few words. And it, and it just had this, like, devastating effect, like, oh, no, that's not right. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we just, it's easy to get it twisted. I'll say that. Yeah. So I felt like I would be very nervous sometimes when Father John was talking. And, uh, and then I would just end up thinking, oh, okay, well, that, that was actually, okay, that was good. That's that's nice. Um, So I liked that about it because I just, I think having a priest as, I mean, kind of the main character, that's a lot of TV time 
to say something crazy, you know? What do you think? Yeah, um, it was funny. I was actually talking about this with some people at our church last week that were watching the show but hadn't finished it yet. And two or three people that were talking about it with, they all said that they really they liked the show and they really liked the priest. And that's how I felt about him in the beginning. I was like, oh, I like this guy. And I can sense that there's something not totally, you know. When we first meet him, we just know that he is supposed to be a kind of interim priest for them because their real priest, who's an older guy, Monsignor Pruitt, they saved up money, sent him to the Holy Land. Um, and they kind of talk like he's getting really old and kind of wifty. Um, but when he's supposed to come back, they're waiting to see him. And then mass starts. And then he, this priest walks down the aisle. And they're all like, who is this guy? And, and so you get that there's something kind of mysterious happening there. But they all seem to take a liking to him really quickly. But you're kind of in the back of your mind. You're thinking like something's not adding up about his story. Or he seems like... What's going on with this dude? And he seems to arrive at this time where there's like other sort of strange things or new things happening on the island. Anyways, but it's funny because I really quickly predicted that, oh, I think this guy, Father Paul, is actually Monsignor John Pruitt. I predicted that pretty quickly. And you you figure that out, I think, by episode three or four. And um, and then you predicted that the thing that's actually starting to cause miracles in people, um, like Lisa Scarborough, that was able to get out of her wheelchair, you predicted that had something to do with the communion bread and wine. There's something mystical happening there. Yeah, I noticed that because you said her name was Lisa. Mm-hmm. Lisa or Lisa? Lisa, I think. Lisa. Um, I'm also just terrible at character names, but Lisa was one of the most faithful. She was there at every single mass every day. And I thought she's taking a lot of communion. So you know that, if there's something twisted, it's probably the communion. I, uh, I never thought about that, but yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, so we were able to kind of see those elements, but we didn't know what connected them all. Um, But even after it's revealed that Father Paul is really um, Monsignor John Pruitt, and in, I think, episode three, it's revealed what happened is when he was in Jerusalem, he got caught in some sort of like apocalyptic sandstorm that unearthed some ancient ruins. And he's got like a, you know, his mind is starting to um, struggle with dementia and he kind of stumbles into this place looking for shelter and he sees this creature that's like looking back at him from the darkness and he lights a match and he's, you know, he's terrified and all of a sudden this creature's right next to him and it attacks him and it bites him on the neck. And it looks like this like long, lanky, pale, just kind of demon thing, but it has wings too. So you're like, this is either just a straight up demon, but when it starts biting him, you're like, oh, it's maybe a vampire. And then you see the thing cut its wrist or something and then bleed right into his mouth. I'm like, oh, it's definitely a vampire. <laughs> Love watching that. And um, and so, uh, and then the next morning he wakes up young and you realize, oh, okay, that's what happened. And Ah, uh, a miracle of God. Yeah. And so when this happens to him, he thinks that this is some... You know, this is some sort of apocalyptic sign from God. Like, I'm I'm kicking off the end of all things, and I'm doing these miracles. 
It is ironic, though, that the Apostle Paul himself, who Monsignor Pruitt now, this is a new identity, where he even tells us, you know, talks about this later by himself, that he sees himself like a new Apostle Paul, you know, on the road to Damascus. He has this great revelation. Um, even Paul himself tells us in the scriptures, like if even an angel preaches a different gospel to you, <laughs> you know, let it be mm. anathema. So I feel like he should have been a little bit more aware of that as a, as a faithful priest. But the whole time you just couldn't help but liking this guy. He's really, he's got an affable way about him. He seems to really care about he's people. sweet and gentle. He's sweet and gentle. He visits the elderly. He he spends time with the people that no one else spends time with in the community. He tries to help the people that are not part of the church. Um, and he's kind of a powerful preacher in a way. Like, <laughs> I yeah, I agree. You know, we on our on our Twitter spaces tonight, our friend Blake Collier, um, who writes with me at Grindhouse Theology, but also is at I think Film Inquiry and Mockingbird and several other places and. Uh, is really thoughtful guy. He noticed, he said, he, he kind of preaches like a Protestant. And I, I think maybe that's probably why it was appealing to us um, as Protestants. But he, um, he's got this really fiery passion in him. Like he really believes this. And so even the liturgy that he carries out where he talks about the church calendar, you know, he talks about Ash Wednesday and Lent and Easter, he talks about these ways and they're really like compelling and beautiful. You know, he talks about resurrection and Jesus healing people in a way that gets the people in the, the town to feel like heard and understood because they, they start crying when they're hearing him preaching because Jesus loved fishermen. You know, fishermen changed the world and here's a town of fishermen. And so he's like a deeply compassionate guy. But then as the show goes on, you realize he's been deceived by this vampire who he's smuggled back into this place and who's now like feasting on people um but also giving its own blood so he could turn people into vampires you never quite know what the the plan of this thing is um but i just liked him so much as a character and i know some of this was driven by the fact that at the very end of the show you find out that uh, an elderly woman that he was visiting and celebrating mass with was actually a secret lover of his. And her daughter, who's the doctor on the island, is actually their love child together. And in some sense, he was hoping that they could have a second chance at being a family again. So you see that some of that, some of his desires are driven by his own like human, flawed, personal desires. But even that, I mean, he just feels like he's a... Uh, He's a decent guy. And even when he sees the consequences of his actions are like causing terrible problems and violence, like he still wants the church to be a place where people can heal and he can repent and apologize for what he's done. So he, he, to me, it just feels like a, a like, a, um, you know, not a perfect representation of like a, a Christian pastor or priest, but like, you know, just one that you kind of hope that's if he had a spiritual leader, he would kind of have this care for people and sincerity. And, and, and so there's something I thought that was like really compelling about that. So I, I really like that presentation. This show had incredible music. I mean, it had incredible hymns and stuff like that. I've been listening to the soundtrack. Listen, like this guy loves the soundtrack. Nonstop. It's so good. I can just hear hymns all day. It's so Playing good. Playing from your AirPods. Um, 
and that the music plays such a big role in the show and in the the, the life of the people. Um, and uh, there's just something, everything about it's very compelling. And so the thing that I like more than anything about all that we've talked about is the way the, the show ends after, you know, people have all been turned into vampires because they've been partaking in this vamp vampire blood mixed in with the the sacrament which um is kind of a crazy thing like it's it's wild and (laughs) it's like both scandalous and horrifying and like kind of a remarkable idea um it also feels um violating in a way yeah totally to know that you've been doing this normal church sacrament thing that means something very special and someone else has decided you'll be drinking vampire blood instead. Yeah. I mean, that feels very and, traumatic. And I mean, if you're, you know, a lot, most of the Christian people in the world, you think that this is the true transubstantiated body and blood of our Lord. It's, um, or his real presence is reflected there and some spiritual capacity. So that's even more horrifying to think it could be defiled with this vampire blood. So that's, and I just want to add something to, yeah. I, I said this to you, but I'll say it here as well, that every time I take part in communion, I always think about what if somebody poisoned this? <laughs> yeah. So this was, maybe it was just more traumatic for me personally, because I fear that constantly. Yeah. What was horrifying to me also <laughs> as we're living in this pandemic world, is like seeing people do common cup. <laughs> Just thinking about, I mean, I know the pandemic doesn't exist in this show, but ironically, there is a contagion that's I spreading. I couldn't do it either way. Regardless. Anyways. Um, yeah, so there- I'm sorry, I derailed No, we were, we were talking about, I'm trying to remember what we were talking about. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. Um, you were talking about what you liked. Oh, I remember. At the, at the end of the show- like after every terrible thing has happened and, and everybody's turned into vampires that were taking part in this communion, some of a lot of them had been killed and they come back as vampires. And when they realize the terrible mess that they're in, they kind of gather together. The whole town's on fire. The chaos that's ensued from that night, and this congregation stands together. And 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 um, Annie Flynn, Riley's mom, Ed's wife, who's just really a wonderful person in the show. She starts singing Near My God to Thee, and the whole congregation joins in. And so it's their last moment on earth. It seems to be a really heartfelt, like, we've sinned, we've fallen short, we've done things that were not who we want to be, and but we're going to stand here united, even though we just tried to hurt each other a few minutes ago. And the sun comes up, and they're they're singing this song, and the and the, and the Nelson brothers who composed this music put it together. So beautiful, rich choral. Isn't it the Newman brothers? New is it Newman brothers or Nelson brothers? I thought it was Newman brothers. Let's look that up real quick because I want to give these guys credit because because I know you love them because they were you love your boys. I mean, they just did such a great job. I mean, they they're good at scoring television and film. The Newton Brothers, we were both wrong. We were both wrong. <laughs> the Newton Brothers, they did this great choral arrangement and this huge, just beautiful harmony of voices singing this song. And so here's these Christians worshiping together and the sheriff who is a Muslim with his son um, and they're both dying. The sheriff from a gunshot wound, his son from being 
getting involved with the church later on the show they're facing east towards mecca and they're praying in the morning and i mean and it just feels and you're hearing all the song and these people of all faiths are putting their you know their faith in in god and and you know trying to live out their life decently as a religious person it was just like really compelling to see like they weren't going to let this demonic thing change who they were in their last moments on life and who they believed in and that was just so beautiful to me and as they're swelling to that last line the sun peeks over the horizon and everybody turns to ash and the song just there just kind of cuts out and you just hear like these echoes just draw to silence and this the sun's in the sky and 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 there's the town is on fire i mean cinematically there's something so beautiful i have not stopped thinking about that final 10 minutes of that show um and it was just something about that was so moving as a person of faith seeing faith portrayed in a way that gives real hope and it makes you who you are it's not just this like ancillary part of you just like you know oh you're you know like uh you're you like the atlanta braves or you're like collecting you like watching super mario be played by yeah yeah you know it's not just a hobby it's like a central characteristic to who you are as a person that was moving and remarkable to me i think and uh, again i think flanagan like understands the compunction for people of faith even though he's not one and so i just found that moving so i really like that i really do like how they handle christianity by and large even though it's imperfect and you know as a person that's super critical of the church by being a part of the church, I think a fair representation in the show too is like these people were very gullible and they bought into this sort of like very obviously demented scheme of this priest, like drink this and you'll die, but be resurrected. It's, I mean, it got cultish at the, in the very last episode. 100%. And Christians, you know, I mean, they've just revealed the top 19 out of 20 Facebook pages are all run by troll farms. Like Christians, especially in the West, are super gullible people. Mm. And that's to our shame and our discredit. And uh, fortunately, our faith is older and bigger and more international and more... you know, cross-cultural than just our stupid little American things. But um, yeah, so I mean, it shows like how we can be really super gullible and follow after charismatic leaders that are leading us down like really dark paths. So I mean, that was a fair critique of the show too. But I I felt ultimately it, it showed that faith is not a silly thing, that love is not a silly thing, that um, forgiveness and hope are not a silly thing. And that God's not a silly thing. So, because basically that's all they had. Yeah. Was their faith and their hopefulness. Yeah. And it caused some of them to act in crisis in their best ways, where they were able to even forgive. Um, uh, um, gosh, I can't remember her name. I just said it. Um, Annie Flynn confronts the, 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 the character in the show that's hated by everyone. Um, Bev Keen, who's like this really Angela-like yeah. from the office, just nasty, hypocritical. If just, you pray enough, you can change yourself into a cat person. Yeah, just, um, just really mean-spirited, kind of pharisaical lady. 
um, she confronts her in the very end by saying, like, why does it bother you so much that God loves, like, a sinner like my son just as much as he loves you? Like, why does that? You're not a good person. Like, why do you pretend to be? God loves even not good people. And so, like, that was a really compelling argument, too, I think, that some of these Christian people, like, the thing that they had to offer to people is by saying, God loves even bad people, and and he forgives bad people, and I'm going to forgive you, too. And so, that's, like, a really beautiful vision for how life should be, um, that that humanity could be forgiving and truly loving beyond the terrible things that we do. Um, well, and that someone's motive for being religious is reward or just some sort of benefit. You know, it's not a motive of love and devotion. It's just, well, how is this going to serve me Yeah. in the end? So anyways, I mean, I, I just really loved so much of the show you know nothing there's i've never seen anything that's without its flaws but this and and this had plenty of them but i was just so i was just so enthused by most of what i was seeing and found it really just compelling and well structured and interesting i just really liked it that was a a great show did you say your like yeah that was i mean that was me ranting and raving about my likes what was the oh just that i feel like they handled religion really well portrayed the christian faith and kind of well, a, i guess that was my life too so we had the same light i guess so okay broadly speaking which gets us to our last and final segment which is tropes did you have a favorite trope that you wanted to discuss oh um yeah i mean it's not really fully fleshed out but i guess in my mind there's just kind of a trope of religious people or just religion in general kind of turning into some sort of monstrous thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just that whole thing of these people that are so dedicated that they can't see past their own nose, and then they end up being the whole issue. I mean, that's, that's kind of a trope in my mind. Yeah. And I, I want to uh, mention this as well. In our Twitter spaces, we had a question that kind of tackled that um, from one of our friends, uh, Andrew had a, uh, a question about what was our impression, essentially, I'm paraphrasing Andrew here, but what was our impression of the show's depiction of religion? Like, what was the point of showing all of that? Um, and so I kind of answered for myself. I think there's some positive aspects of that. I think Mike Flanagan kind of shows that he thinks that this, you know, God is just... Christianity or Islam or, or whatever faith is just kind of a coping strategy or a stepping stone towards embracing, you know, just that we're all just a big cosmic accident. So, I, I mean, um, I, I think, you know, although religion is can be critiqued for how it can get people to be gullible or manipulative or even downright violent, um I think also he shows it as a source of great hope and as a like a place of deep virtue. And of course, as a Christian myself, I think the thing that's missing so much from talking about religion is the person of Jesus. Like that's really what it's about for us is like, you know, we're not Christians because we think, you know, just this, the, the, the Bible 
is like the, the mythology of it, so to speak, is just so amazing or there's nothing like it. Um, or that somehow the, you know, the, the rituals of the church are somehow just the most ideal or Christian people are even the best. They're decidedly not. Most of the time they feel like the worst. Uh, but because Jesus is really what motivates that, who he was, who he is, um, that he really is God and um, and human. It's, I mean, like, that's the whole ball game for us. So, of course, like, you know, it's not total Orthodox Christianity if it's not really dealing with that. But... Yeah, I think just tagging on to what you're saying, I think that... The Christians and the Muslims kind of having the same amount of hope and worshiping God the same way till their very last breath. I mean, that's hope and faith is all they have. And it what it's like what you said, it, it got them through Yeah. Literally the toughest moment of their life when they're yeah. they know they're dying. So for Flanagan, religion is just kind of an could be an admirable coping mechanism but it could also be a source of like a lot of evil and manipulation so like you know the sheriff like who's a muslim guy you see him show a lot of courage and wisdom because of how his religion has shaped him but you know bev keen um you see how her religion has turned her it's been an excuse for her to just be hypocritical and selfish and evil and mean so, I mean, it can it can work out either way for people. Yeah. Um, what was your trope? Um, I think my favorite trope was the fact that in several scenes, you could tell that the person that was supposed to be old or elderly was a young person. I totally forgot about that. Under makeup. Because we were so irritated by that. Because when you beginning. first saw Henry Thomas, who played Ed Flynn, I believe his name was... Um, you're like, why did they cast him to be, I mean, like, he's like, it's very clear that his mustache and his hair is, that's like a fake gray. Like, why did they? And I was like, well, maybe they're going to do flashbacks or something. Cause they did flashbacks with Haunting of Hill House, but they actually got two different characters to play. Anyways, long story short, I thought maybe it was a flashback thing. And then, um, oh, uh, oh Mildred, oh. Mildred was her name. Oh, okay. Sarah was the daughter, Dr. Sarah Gunning, oh. Mildred Gunning. When we first saw her, we're like, that's a clearly a young woman that's like younger than we are. So obvious. And old person makeup. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, so they, <laughs> I get why they did it for the show. Because it would be, it would seem crazy to cast an old actor and then have a new actor show up at the very end of the season, it's like, oh, this is this person that you're supposed to be seeing, especially when you're supposed to see a gradual. I like the woman that played Mildred. I thought she was a fine actor. But you could tell the, the second she started getting younger, she looked younger in her face than her own adult daughter. So she was, in some sense, almost miscast in that way. Like, in no way was she believably older. Well, it just made me wonder... I mean, could they not have a bigger budget for makeup effects? I mean, like, why? Because we've seen that done before where people are disguised as old and it works. And well, it even when you saw um, Monsignor Pruitt, he looked like a different guy. 
I mean, like, he was so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with all the makeup. If you looked really close, I think you could tell. But, I mean, but this, but the, the Mildred Gunning character, she looks so, I mean, obviously so young. Because I noticed it with Riley's mom. And I was like, yeah. wait, why is her hair, like, why is she wearing a wig? Yeah. Like, what's the point of that? Just, like, yeah. just make her hair look normal. So, um, I liked everybody that was cast in this. It's just, like, there's something about the makeup was, like... Yeah, it was a little rough. So, so I guess the trope of miscasting actors <laughs> or putting them in bad makeup. Yeah, I think just makeup, period. Is I, the- I think the worst makeup I've ever seen, I feel like, on an old person... It's not the worst, but it's pretty bad. I think in um, Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar movie with Leo DiCaprio and his lover is um, Army Hammer. The old makeup they put on Army Hammer in that movie is so terrible, like laughably bad. And it's like, it's so clear that they put, seems like $20 of prosthetics on him with really, I mean, it was just, it was, it was really bad. So. I don't know. We'll move on to, I think, our last segment for right now. And that is a little segment we like to call Scaredy Cats. Elise, were there any cats in this show? There were about 65, maybe. There's a lot of cats. Yeah, it's the most we've ever had. And so we're at a... I mean, 60 to 100 yeah, we don't, cat count I mean, we at just this don't point. Know. We shot up from one now to hundreds. Yeah. But there's a tragic backstory to these cats. Mm-hmm. It's that none of them survive. In the first episode, they go to a part of the island or a separate island where there's a bunch of feral cats. And then by the end of that episode, uh, you see them all dead, washed up on the beach after a storm. And it's because that's the angel who was the vampire, um, was feeding off those cats and surviving off them in the wild for some time. Well, I also said, we don't know, he could have just bit one cat and then that cat could have gone around and eaten other cats. Maybe, but there was that one scene where there was a, it showed a cat coming to smell another dead cat's body and then it hears something break and it kind of looks and then all of a sudden the camera lunges at the cat. Could have been another cat. Maybe. <laughs> I sincerely think it was just a vampire eating all those cats. Or a cat. So rest and pause to all of those cats. And so then we did have one dog, a cute little, I guess that was um, a pit bull maybe, named Pike. It mm. was the, the drunk guy, yeah. Joe Colley's dog. Mm-hmm. Joe Colley was a fun actor in this, the town mm-hmm. drunk, who accidentally paralyzed Lisa Scarborough, the girl that was healed from a wheelchair. They had some pretty powerful scenes together. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a dog named Pike who got poisoned by Bev Keen. And that was a sad scene to watch that dog kick the bucket. Yeah, I think, honestly, the the effects of the dead animals were better than the old makeup. Yeah, for sure. But we hated that. I mean, we yeah. didn't want to see that. Brutal. It was awful. So, and then, you know, there's a couple crabs I think you saw. They got fished up by the Flynn family. Um, and then I guess you could consider the, the angel slash vampire. Maybe he's a creature. 
He's kind of a bat-human hybrid, a demon. If we're going to start counting demons (laughs) as cute little pets, then this podcast is not going to work out. So rest and pause to Pike and those feral cats on Crockett Island. And rest in peace to all the people there, except for two, Lisa and and the little Flynn kid, that whose well, name they, I can't remember. Yeah, they couldn't live on the island anymore, so yeah, technically so, everyone who lived on the island. Yeah, literally everybody in the show died except for... Extinguished. For those two, so yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Well, that about does it here for us. Um, do you have any concluding thoughts? Yeah, I do have a conclude. concluding thought it's hard to say my concluding thought is uh this could have just been an association that i made but you can comment and let me know um at the very end when just about everybody's been turned into a vampire and they all are running up to the church slash fellowship hall slash bev and father john uh, they're all kind of standing there looking for guidance, I guess, and leadership and what mm-hmm. to do next. And Bev is kind of taking over and telling them all what to do and being bossy as she loves to do. And we have that one guy right at the front who's very frantic and scared. And, you know, he, I think he, I think he may have, uh, you know, killed his own wife yeah, like, I can't remember the character's name. Yeah. But he's in this group and he was turned by Sturge, who was one of the I guess henchmen is bad. I was gonna say, yeah. You know, he kind of becomes he's like he's a boat repairman, I guess, or mechanic or something. I'm not really sure. He's mm-hmm. kinda does nebulous like odd jobs around the island. Yeah. But he gets recruited pretty quickly by Father Paul when it's revealed that he's something going on with him and by Bev Keen to kind of just be their go-to guy. Um, he turns this dude that he really liked and said he was always nice to me into a vampire. That guy comes forward crying and Bev is really judgmental and she was like, I don't ever think I saw you a day uh, or come to mass a day in your life. And he's like, I think I killed my wife and my son. And she was, she's like, says something really awful where she was like, oh, well, you could have turned them if you came to church. Like, you could have saved them and they would have been, you know, fine. But um, yeah, I guess since you never came to church, you didn't know that. And uh, well, there's no more room for you in here. So mm-hmm. she just sends this like disoriented poor guy out on his own. Yeah. So um, it seemed to me like after that happened was kind of the, the final uh, switch for Father John, and he that's when he says, wait, what we're doing is monstrous, I yeah. think is what he says. And um, so I don't know, it's kind of an association I was making between like the final thing it seemed like he needed was seeing Bev essentially reject this guy and tell him there's no room for you. Yeah. Like, we don't care that you're a part of us based on like, being a vampire, yeah, uh, we're gonna send you out so you can roast in the sun while we live in peace. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that to me it was kind of sweet because it's like that's the thing that kind of triggers him to realize, like, oh, Christianity is not about rejection. Yeah, it's not about sending someone away 
even if they never came to church a day in their life, like Bev wanted to wave in his face, like he's here now, he's asking for help and we're planning to turn him away. Like that's something's not right here. Yeah. And something specifically in Bev is pretty demonic to in his, this guy's hour of need to say, well, you didn't come to church. So we don't want you here. Yeah. And that's where you see that. And this is why I liked father, John Monsignor Pruitt, father, Paul, by his many, (laughs) his many names. Mm -hmm. Why I liked him up to the end, because even though he was deceived, he saw that he was wrong. And he said, bring him in here. He said, this is, if this is, these doors are always open. And if this is not God's house for everyone, then it's not God's house at all. Yeah. And so it reminds me of Jesus when he storms the temple and kicks out all the money changers and throws over all the tables. And he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And implying from the Old Testament, this is supposed to be for everybody, for the nations. Even the Gentiles should be able to come here and be accepted and loved by God and forgiven. Um, but you've made it a you know a den of thieves. It's only for the people that can make money or for, for profit off of Israel's religion. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of his view of his faith in the end. Like this is for everybody, mm-hmm. and then we don't turn anybody away. And that's where you get the sense that even though he's as flawed as he is, like that's the saving grace is that even bad people can find healing and hope here. Um, and so that's why I found it so compelling to the end. And so yeah, I think that was a great kind of final observation. Yeah. I really, I thought that was something to think about. Yeah. If you haven't seen the show, well, we spoiled it all for you. If you have seen the show, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or email us at happily scary podcast.com at gmail.com. Sorry. Um, and, uh, do we have anything else? Oh, we have a letterbox too. We haven't used that hardly at all, but we'll try to get that up and running. Um, but anyways, we really enjoyed the show and next week, Lord willing, we're going to be discussing this new horror movie lamb that's coming out this weekend. And the week after that, we're going to be discussing a movie I've been waiting for, for so long, which is Halloween, Halloween, Halloween slays. Also known as Halloween Kills. Also, you said, Lord willing, that we'd be talking about the lamb. Mm-hmm. How about lamb willing? Ooh. And folks, you can't get any better than that. So don't forget to vote on our Twitter about whether you want the dad jokes to stay or go. Yes. I won't get my feelings hurt, except for if I do. You know, we're, we're still taking segment ideas. I think this is only like our fourth or fifth episode. And so we got we to gotta pad this out some more, I feel like. This is probably one of our lengthier podcasts because we're, ta- we're talking about a whole season of a TV show yeah. in one episode. But we need to have more segment ideas. But Yes, for sure. Well, Elise, is there anything you'd like to say to the people before we send them on their way? Yeah, may you guys live happily scary after. There you have it, folks. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. my
Thank you.